This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift. Explore, train and compete on the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Kreuzer. That's a bit of Welsh for you. Nice to see you, G, as always. Nice to see you racing your bike again in Portugal last week. Um, have you also been keeping an eye on your other sporting obsessions, Six Nations? Yes, most definitely. Um, quite fortunately, the first game was when I was in LA, so I saw the first half and then I thought, well, I'd rather have pain in the legs than pain just sat here watching this game. So, yeah, fortunately missed that. But then the Scotland game was there in Monaco watching that. Sar and Max were in there, so... Got to actually watch the game as well in peace, which was nice. And um, yeah, great to see. Great to see the boys overturn such a, you know, because it's one thing you can kind of relate with when people are just giving you stick if you're not performing very well. So yeah, it was good to see them turn it around, actually. Be honest, when Dan Bigger went for the drop goal rather than going for the uh, try, which seemed on to most people, were you uh, backing him or not? Uh, at that moment in time, I was like, oh, why didn't they go for the try? But, you know, he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He's a 100-cap professional rugby player and I'm just someone sat on the sofa thinking I know better. So, But, yeah, no, it was great to see him, you know, because he's had a lot of stick over the years as well, hasn't he? As well as Cuthbert, you know, especially Cuthbert. I think he's like, what, what? When was the last time he played for Wales? Like five, six years ago or something? He got a lot of stick, didn't he, when England won in Cardiff late on a few years back with that flat pass that took him out. I think it was Farrell to Ford to Daly, wasn't it? Or it might have been Ford to Farrell to Daly. But he was pushing up, wasn't he? And didn't make that last-ditch tackle. And you know what social media is like. Yeah, it's no point in... Uh, it didn't need to like describe it in so much detail, by the way. Like, <laughs> you're just rubbing salt into his wound again there. Can tell, can tell where you're from, can't we? But uh, no, obviously, yeah, he was, he was a superstar for a while, though, wasn't he? With the Lions, Wales, went through that bad patch, got yeah. dropped from the team, but yeah. Great to see him come back now and sort of um yeah, playing well again. Yeah. Like like I say, like the the whole squad did after Ireland really to bounce back after that. And obviously big game this weekend though now. The one that matters really, isn't it? Huge. I would say the text you've sent me with the most emojis in it came <laughs> after that little win for Wales at Twickenham in the World Cup in 2015. I think there was about 50 or 60 emojis, <laughs> um, which maybe reflected your state of mind and the fact that, had you got married already or were you getting married? But it was it was a boozy month or so for you, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I think it was just before, actually. And uh, oh, to be honest, I don't really remember much of the second half because we kind of thought, <laughs> oh, we're in, we're in for a year. So you kind of hit the booze a bit. But yeah, that was that was a great day. Something we'll remember for a long time. It was actually quite awkward though because Matt Parker used to be my coach on the track and he'd gone to England rugby. So we arranged to go and see him afterwards in like the England player lounge, you know, no matter what happened. Um, so for it to go the way it did, when me and three other Welsh lads turned up to the England player lounge thing where all their friends and family were, it was, yeah... We were happy, but we didn't want to rub it in too much, you know? Especially because they're big boys, aren't they? You don't want to piss them off. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a thriller. Uh, I'm sure lots of people who listen to the GTCC will also be watching it in the meantime. Let's get a guest on. Sponsor Klaxon. The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by Momentus, a leading human performance company that works with pro and elite sporting teams. And here's Geraint to tell you about their flagship product, PR Lotion, and a cheeky discount for our members. Yeah, so PR Lotion is a cream that you just basically massage on your muscles that are working. So the other day, for instance, I had a big time trial session. So an hour before, just was there in my kitchen, massaging cream all over my legs and... uh but it works very well. And the data also actually shows that you'll get 53% less muscle soreness and be able to do 25% more training intervals. So win-win. So go on, go and slap it all over those legs before your next big ride or your next workout or even your next GTCC ride. 
Just go to livemomentous.com and use the discount code GTCC2021 at the checkout for 25% off Momentus's PR lotion. Happy training. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming. And I have a new podcast called Alan Cummings Shelves. You see, I have quite a few shelves in my house that are sort of a museum of my life. In each episode, I'm going to take an item off my shelves, tell you why it's there in the first place, then start to talk about my memories of it. And then I chat with a friend who's involved in those memories. I've spoken to Ian McKellen about a hemp bracelet that he bought me on a nudist beach we visited together. Cindy Lopper about a pair of white leather gloves I wore on Broadway. And you even get to hear Jerry Halliwell talk about my Spice Girls lunchbox. And that is not a euphemism. I have some really amazing guests coming on to chat, so I just hope you will join me. And all you have to do to do that is to search for Alan Cummings Shelves, wherever you get your podcasts from. See you soon. Tom, I've pulled another legend out of the bag for this episode. I've gone and got another sir for the podcast, although he might not be used to that title at the moment. It's pretty fresh. Box Fresh, his medal. But, uh, well, I think he's, well, he is Britain's most successful Olympian of all time with nine medals, seven of them gold. Not a bad record, really. He's also married to someone who happens to be the most successful female British Olympian ever as well. So, a bit of a power couple. Uh, we had his wife on the pod earlier in the series. So, I thought it was about time we got, well, the other half on. So, welcome to the GTCC, sir... Jason Kenny. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, pleasure. It's, um, yeah, seven golds. What were your other ones in? The other two? The Olympics. Yeah. Uh, two silvers, wasn't it? Two silvers. So, Oh, you mean... No, yeah, that's what I was asking. Yeah, yeah. To make it the nine, yeah. Silver, so silver in the sprint, silver in the team sprint in um, Tokyo. Possibly a negative way to start the podgy when someone's got seven golds and you decide to focus on the two silvers. Well, no, I was just, everyone always focuses on the golds, don't they? And I was just wondering what the other two were in, because they're obviously big achievements as well. But when you got seven golds, it's kind of like, oh, how come, what happened with the two silvers? But, no, fair play. Britain's most successful Olympian ever. And people don't really, you know, Steve Redgrave. Is this Steve Redgrave? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good and, start, this. Oh, Matthew Pinson. Sorry. I always get them mixed up. But yeah, Pinson, Redgrave, you know, everyone talks about them. Obviously, Sir Chris Hoy after winning those three in, in Beijing. No one seems to talk about you like them, though. Does that annoy you? <laughs> Somehow I don't think it does. No, not at all. No, I think, uh, you know, it's just sort of the way it is, isn't it? We've just been quietly getting on with it and, and, and um, working hard all this time, really, and just focusing on the job for uh, all these years. So just because I love it, really, to be honest. It's just good fun. Yeah, when you say that, that's exactly what I think of when I think of you, is just quietly getting on with it and not bothered about the media and all that side of things. It's just go to the velodrome, ride your bike hard, puke up in a bin probably every so often, and then <laughs> go and win some medals at the major championships. And that just seems to be, yeah, how you work. Yeah, I mean, you know, the media stuff doesn't come naturally to me, as you'll figure out when you try and squeeze this chat out to 45 minutes, probably. <laughs> so, um, yeah, na- like for me, naturally, it's dead simple. Just like working away in a group quietly, you know what I mean? And uh, away from the cameras, really. And we only sort of go out in front of the camera when we have to. So we're not going to see you on I'm a Celeb or anything like that, then? I doubt it, no. <laughs> not that I'd be asked, either, to be fair, because, no, like you say, no one knows who I am anyway. No, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that, man. I'm not, I'm not knocking you. I was just meaning like it, everyone talks about the other guys more than you. But you know, when you when you're better, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing about being publicity shy, Jason, is that you did famously in 2012 um, snog your future wife in front of a member of the royal family, which in retrospect was probably quite a good way of bringing attention to yourself. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but obviously at that time it, it didn't. We didn't realize. I mean, the cameras obviously have a big, massive zoom on them, and they were miles away, weren't they? So we didn't realize we were there. Had someone have been sat in front of you with a camera, obviously I wouldn't have done that. But you know, we were just sort of enjoying the moment, really. And at that time, we were we were felt relatively unknown. 
um, and we were just sort of being ourselves, really. And and so, yeah, it was a bit of a baptism of fire into the whole sort of um, newspaper sort of publicity-type world. And it led to... Uh, it was quite stressful at times, actually. You know, it, it leads to sort of people sort of taking pictures of you walking down the street and daft things like that when you... When you're sort of picking your nose and things, so um, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit sort of stressful. I remember when I got back from the Olympics, it was after Rio, and somehow people figured out where we lived, and they were all sort of camping outside. And um, like the most stressful thing for me was like, I had all this washing, and like I couldn't hang it up outside because I didn't want to see someone like, I didn't want someone to take a picture of me hanging my underpants up, like you know what I mean. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was a bit, it's a bit sort of stressful. But I think once they realise that you, you sort of. Once people realise how boring we are, they just give up and walk away. <laughs> Have you had any negative experiences with that then? Like, what's the kind of worst thing that has happened? What, any stories or, you know, bad photos, like you say? Or No, not really. I think, yeah, most people are really good. You know, obviously there's a little bit like... Um, we we obviously like Cheshire area. If you ever go to like Audley Edge or anything where the footballers are, there tends to be a few people around there with cameras and things and like I say they always get you at your worst they always get you on that day that you've uh, well I mean I don't have many good days so I guess it's always going to get me on a bad day but they always <laughs> get you on that day when you've just sort of been doing something and you're just <laughs> you're cutting the grass or something you know and you're just walking about in your scruffs just pop down to uh, pop down to shops like and uh, <laughs> some buggers there with camera and snaps a picture of you like I say scratching your bum or something so um, yeah it's just uh, it's just just one of those really I was going to say talking about going to the shops when we had Sir Chris on he said he'd send his wife in you know he'd sit in the car it's not like you can really claim that though with Laura <laughs> is it no that's just because he's lazy though isn't it with Chris I don't think that's anything to do with the cameras <laughs> I mean let's be honest he's not left the house without doing his urban makeup anyway just in case so uh, <laughs> no yeah Laura's more likely to I'm, it's the opposite I end up going in Laura's the one that uh, she draws the crowd so she's the one that has to hide away and I end up going in it's funny because when we get deliveries to the house, sometimes people will be like, um, delivery for like Laura Kenny, and they'll be like, oh, is that the Laura Kenny? And then they'll be like, she's married to a cyclist as well, isn't she? I'll be like, ah, she is, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, I bet they just think I'm like the gardener or something. <laughs> There's something nice about that, though. I don't really have a choice, it is what it is. I remember that period after Rio, Jason, when, because you got married that same year, didn't you, later on that autumn? And I remember coming around to yours and just seeing a number of shifty individuals in cars who were parked in the lane before your lane. And the weird thing was that as they approached your house, they looked so guilty. So that even if you didn't know they were paparazzi or trying to get pictures of you, they made it quite obvious by their facial expressions. Yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? We lived down a little lane, like you say, it didn't go anywhere. So it was dead obvious if anyone sort of drove down here. You know, there was only two houses down there in the middle of nowhere, like so. Um, yeah, it, it weren't. It were. It were good anyway because it were awkward. And like I said, everyone gave up. There's nothing to take a picture of, really. It's just a house in the middle of a field, isn't it? Uh, where we used to live. Um, but yeah, it was a. It was a bizarre experience after we all very strange. Picking. I remember picking Laura up from the airport. She arrived the day after me, and just had to like drive through like this like mad crowd for pick her up from the airport and stuff. Just a bizarre bizarre experience but for the most part we can just get back to life as normal really and, and sort of live normally which is quite nice I think we get we get the sort of a little bit of a taste of it and um, and then we sort of get the best of both worlds really so seeing as we're talking about the Olympics this is probably an impossible question to answer but what's your favourite gold or even silver your favourite medal yeah well I like the team events to do the team events are so much fun like they're way more fun than the individual individual events can be quite lonely sometimes, particularly if you're the only one left in like a sprint competition or something. You know, you sort of in track centre on your own, and you know it's it is it's quite a lonely place sometimes. And then when you're happy at the end of it, no one's quite as happy as you are. You know, you just sort of stood there going yay, and um, and everyone's sort of happy for you. You know what I mean? Whereas I think the team events, it, it's so hard to get everyone right on the day. It obviously you've got the t- your teammates that are buzzing as well but also you've got it like it seems to drag all the staff in as well because it is such a push to get all those people on the start line that the team events are always like dead good fun I think that's like the highlight of it for me everything else is a bonus it's even harder in team pursuits there's four of us you know <laughs> not saying well, even, our events harder than yours but even harder in tour how many you got in the tour you got na- nine eight is it yeah it used to be nine now it's eight yeah okay yeah so there you go 
big job. Get them all on. <laughs> get them all on, on form for. Although you got three weeks, you got quite a broad target, though, haven't you? Yeah, that's the thing. We got you can mess up one day and it's fine. Whereas the track, especially team sprint, th- over three laps, you know, one tiny mistake, that's it. So it's kind of even. Do you feel more pressure in a team event? Because if you mess up, it's not just your own, you know, your own chance that you're messing up and sacrifice. It's another two teammates. Um, yeah, possibly a little bit, but I think that you know everyone just accepts that. You know, you just you're all human at the end of the day, and we've all fluffed it in the past. Fortunately, we've not fluffed it on on the big stage at the Olympics. But um, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's just part of sport. It can go pear shaped at the end of the day, and that's what makes it so good when it all comes together, isn't it? That the fact that it does have that potential and it is so hard to get it right. Gee, by the way, before we go any further, um, we can tell that you're back in Monaco rather than LA because the sound of the helicopter taxi flying past your window reminds us where you are, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I totally forgot about it. You get used to it. But when you're doing a pod, you kind of realise how often it is. But yeah, sorry about that. I'll try and get the uh, those rich fat men to calm down a bit, Tom. <laughs> oh, yeah, or get the train. While we're still on Team Pursuit, I might have got this wrong, but this just reminds me. I think it was at the Olympics when Philip Hines, did he pull his foot out and then basically jump off his bike because he wouldn't have had a restart, but because he crashed, he got a restart. And then in an interview, I remember him saying that and I'm, were you just looking at him just thinking, mate, shut up. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those little funny things in, in cycling, isn't it, where you, if you crash, you get a restart. Um and and so it was. It was funny because we were taught from kids. I mean, you probably got taught the same that if you pull your foot out, it, it was one of those sort of little um, intricacies in the rules that actually you don't get a restart for pulling your foot out, but you do get a restart for a crash. So we were always taught as kids if you pull your foot out, just fall off because you, then you get a restart. So I think they've changed it now. They've changed the wording of it and things because of the famous, infamous Philip Hines. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> one of those things. Classic Phil did it on the big stage, obviously, but. You know, he was only playing by the rules at the end of the day, and um, and that's yeah, that's that's just one of those things about uh, track cycling. Okay, right. Can you remember what your impressions were of Jason? Because you were obviously in the velodrome training before the 2008 and 2012 Olympics at the same time, but you were part of different groups, weren't you? There's a sprint group and there's the endurance group. It kind of baffled me really that he was so super fast on the bike, but everything else was just slower than everyone else. Just the way he'd walk into the track, you know, he'd just be dead chilled and calm and just kind of like, yeah, almost as if he'd been smoking some pot or something. Just kind of a bit like, yeah, you know, it's Wednesday, whatever. Like, I'm just going to get up and do a standing start and just rolls slowly up to his bike, jumps on and boom, like super fast. And then again, chilled. And and then more the mentality as well, just kind of just almost like, Gave off the impression like he just didn't really care sometimes as well. But I think that was just his way of just sort of being, or maybe you didn't care. I don't know. But you just seemed pretty chilled with it. You just never, anything seemed to get you stressed. You didn't seem stressed. It was just sort of, yeah, you know, it's a race and it is what it is. And I've worked hard. I've done everything I can and what will be, will be. Was that, was I right in thinking that? Um, yeah, I think it's just the way I learned to sort of deal with stuff, really. I just sort of just take it really steady, really slow, and just stay really relaxed, just generally in life, you know what I mean? I try not to rush into anything. And then, obviously, when when you're racing, it's different then, isn't it? So it's just sort of one of those things. We sprint, although it is, obviously, sprint is sort of a, a sprint event, obviously, but it, and it's very short efforts. Like, to get all the way to the final and, and to win a race, you've got to be there all day. It's almost like an endurance sort of thing in itself you know so you're sort of always fueling warming up warming down uh, throughout the day and it was just sort of the way I I caught with that really I think I suppose and just just sort of learned to it and obviously the the training as well is the same you're always having you know as you know it's it's sort of every day you're always on and um, and yeah particularly when I was sort of um, first starting out and, and it was just me and I was sort of that young sort of selfish athlete I just sort of sort of switch off when I'm not training really and just sort of grind to a halt <laughs> and then just switch it on <laughs> that makes sense though because like you say when you're doing a sprint event you're in the track all day like you could have maybe well I don't know how many but four five sprint races and I think like you can't be at that sort of like buzzing and really pumped the whole time can you otherwise by the end of the day you'll just be dying off and you would have used up all your adrenaline or whatever so I guess it's uh 
a blessing that you kind of had, you could master that pretty easily, really. Just turn it on when you had to and then turn it off when you don't. I remember Steve Peters saying a bit, a little bit, um, sort of halfway through my career, saying um, he gave a presentation to us and he said, it's not like, don't worry about getting distracted. It's not about being focused for 24 hours. You know, it's about being focused when it matters, really. And you know, you can always get back in it. So it's, you know, I think when you first start out, you're, all, you're tempted to feel guilty because you're not focusing on it. You know, you could be warming up and your mind's wandering off and you're like, oh, no, no, I've got to, I've got to worry about the race. I should be thinking about the race type thing. But like, like I say, Steve said, you know, you don't, don't worry about your mind drifting away into, into other places because as long as you know you can switch it back on. Um, and I think, yeah, for sprint, that's really important because like you say, you can spend all day sat around um, waiting for your races and, and then having to get up and down for each race. Do you watch the other events? Do you get like, yeah, excited and stuff watching them? I do, yeah. I like some of the events. Yeah, I I, um, I recently um, did a bit of commentary on the uh, Track Champions League. You know, the new racing that's that's on Eurosport now. And I kind of and I and I didn't really realise. I was a bit nervous to be honest. I didn't want to do it. I I was only kind of um, covering because Laura wanted to do a bit of commentary, um, so she got the gig and then decided she only wanted to do. Uh, Mallorca and London <laughs> so the the easy ones and she didn't want to go to Lithuania or um, Israel so I picked up those two uh, but then Israel got cancelled in the end so I just did Lithuania but I, I did I really enjoyed watching it and actually it unlocked this sort of um, part of my brain that like I've been soaking it up you know what I mean all this time but never really spoke about it and then and it sort of unlocked it for me so I found that when someone asked about a race I actually did have an opinion I had quite a lot to say about it so it came to me a lot more natural than I thought it would and I ended up really enjoying so yeah I do I, I love watching the racing it's uh, it's dead interesting and I think watching it from a rider's point of view you I'm always trying to guess what someone's thinking you know what I mean <laughs> and uh, seeing if they regret their decisions you know as I often do in life when I'm in the racing <laughs> Gee, you've talked about the feeling that the beeps before a team pursuit would give you and also the countdown they had in uh, the Velodrome in 2012 and how if you hear that now, it still makes you, the adrenaline flow and makes you feel super tense. But Jason, you always seemed super relaxed in those moments, almost like I'm sure there must be intense stresses there, but it's like either you feel them less than your rivals or you can cope with them better. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think I've, I'm really lucky because I got success in Beijing really early. And I remember walking back to the apartment in Beijing after winning that gold medal in the team sprint and just being like, you know, this is it now. I've won, like everything else is a bonus type thing. Because all I wanted to do really was, um, was kind of get a gold medal, um, at the Olympics. To be honest, all I wanted to do was go to the Olympics. I wasn't really, I didn't really give it much thought, to be honest. But once I went and we won and it was like, ah, job done type thing. So ever since then, I think I've always had that kind of in my pocket and just really been, been lucky and been able to enjoy it really ever since. And that's sort of what I've done. Just sort of gone along and really just get stuck in and and enjoy it for what it is really without having, you know, this, this pressure that I desperately want something out of it. How old were you in Beijing? You must have been what? 20? Yeah, I was 20 in Beijing, so it was, um, you know, it was bang on time. It was, I think if it had been a couple of months earlier, I wouldn't have been ready. So, um, yeah, it was, I was really fortunate and it just sort of came to me just all, all at the right time, really lucky. That's the biggest thing I'm impressed with with guys like Jason and Chris is their training is just so intense, but from my point of view, it just seems quite mundane at times to be doing it. And you can do it, you know, full gas for, say, one Olympic cycle, maybe two. But, you know, Jason and Chris just go, you know, what is this now? You've done four Olympics, haven't you? Like, and doing the same, well, it, it probably isn't the same training exactly, but, you know, in that velodrome, in the gym, day in, day out, like, that's the most impressive thing for me. Because at least with us, even the, the track riders, the endurance guys, you know, you race on the road season, you... um you have that different sort of stimulus in the in the summer, whereas those boys are just yeah, it must be must be monotonous at times. It is at times, yeah. I think you got to have a certain personality. It's probably the same reason that me and Chris both like kind of racing cars as well, because I think it's that personality that you do the same lap over and over again, and it's sort of the same thing. We're doing the same training over and over. We're doing the same efforts over and over, and it's just that mentality that you just want to try and get it perfect or better than last time all the time, you know. And I think, yeah, so I guess it's just the way your mind's turned. I remember having the conversation with Cav about it being really boring, you know, track riding's really boring to him type thing. He'd rather be out on the road 
for four hours or five hours or six hours or seven hours, which apparently to him isn't isn't boring, but to some people sounds really boring. You know what I mean? Yeah, at least we. Yeah, at least you go up and down hills though, and you see different things, or you know, avoid something in the road, or there's someone to keep it a bit interesting. Talking about Chris Hoy and the way that both you and him, Jason, um, like racing cars, and you love racing motorbikes as well. Is it the speed of racing a track bike that you love the most? I think there's a there's definitely like a crossover there, and and um, I think there's sort of I don't know whether it's the speed, but I think it's sort of the 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 requirement to sort of say relax in a situation where you really shouldn't be very relaxed. You know, it's, it tends to be, um, you know, it's it's quite high, it's scary basically, um, for want of a better word, and and you should sort of be panicking. But the best thing to do is obviously stay really relaxed, stay focused, and sort of have a cool head. And I think that's sort of for me something that I enjoy the challenge of. And um, and again, it is that sort of obsession to want to nail it lap after lap or effort after effort as well um, and you're quite happy to repeat the same thing just in that kind of strive for um, making it always better one thing i just wanted to ask as well do you want me to refer to you as sir jason or is just jason okay <laughs> <laughs> um well i assumed you always referred to me Sorry, as sir, yeah. to be honest um, uh, <laughs> yes you, you may call me sir that's okay <laughs> thing is jason it's, it's a slightly um sore subject with g because obviously he's won two olympic golds and the tour uh, and the Commonwealth Games as well, and it's still stuck on OBE. So it's you know <laughs> I, slightly awkward having you on with your your nightmares. Sports personality over there, eh? How long was it going to be before you brought that up? <laughs> I was waiting for the end. That was my big <laughs> sign off, actually. <laughs> we didn't even get nominated this time, and I think our best result in that. I I don't think I was last, but I think I might have been second last. So in the yeah you were i remember (laughs) unfortunately yeah well the main thing is it was a strong year well you know i like to think so but at least i wasn't last as well which was kind of the best thing which is always a worry particularly in a popularity contest that's not where you want to be is it (laughs) it is kind of weird though when you think like you became the best the the greatest british olympian ever and you weren't nominated for sports personality i don't want to start picking apart the other nominations but what did sterling do this year well, I suspect he was there because um, obviously we all got very excited about the um, England football team, didn't we? Myself included. And obviously Sterling was sort of heading up that effort. I actually think, to be fair, all things considered, I would have probably voted for him, to be honest. We were talking about it when we were there, me and Laura. And when you consider all the things, you know, the taking the knee and all that jazz that the footballers did and have since been basically proved to be, you know, that that is still required unfortunately then and and there was such a positive buzz around them which is such a massive change obviously obviously we've had football teams in the past that haven't had that and I think that was such a good thing uh, for the national team to go out and do that you obviously you might not feel the same pride not not being English over there but I think um, (laughs) uh, for us you know that that was that was massive I think and and so I suspect he was sort of there representing that um, in a way when like I say I, I I think I'd voted for him to be fair at the shortlist. I think he was he was um, the one that would have got my vote. Picked on the wrong one there, then didn't I? But <laughs> to be fair, no that that is a that is a whole that's definitely a good thing. But you should have still been on there. Okay, who else was on there? Tom Daly. He won his gold after you know all those years trying, but he won seven, seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not in one sitting. You know, at that Olympics, we both won one gold, didn't we? So. Um, again, Tom, very inspirational, isn't he? And represents, you know, a lot, a lot of people. A lot of people can relate to him. You know, again, he's so hard not to like, isn't he? He's such a likable chap. Uh, and I think he did quite well in the votes. Did he come second? Did he? Uh, yeah. Dead happy for him. PT third. PT third. Yeah. Loving life. Uh, yeah. He, he was having a whale of a time. <laughs> 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 there's always one, isn't there, at sports personality who. Well, there's there's generally one who thinks they're going to win and they don't win and they have a massive strop. And then there's the ones who hope they're going to win and don't and just decide to get stuck into the good times. Who's the people that strop, though? I couldn't imagine, like... Well, I probably can't say this, bearing in mind my old job at the BBC, but I'm going to mouth the words and then if people bump into you and me in the street, we can tell them. <laughs> He's won it twice, though, hasn't he? he don't it give twice. it away, Jace. Don't give it away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who did you say Andy Murray <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to say as well your Kieran win so the one gold you did win this year such a such a terrible Olympics that you had Jace. Um <laughs> that must have been the most exciting one that I've watched though like obviously team sprints exciting and close but that Kieran like 
Who was it that gave you... Was it an Aussie that gave you the gap, initial gap? Yeah, it was Matty. Matty Glatesy, yeah. So when we drew one, you know, we were sort of a bit screwed, to be honest. Um, it was like kind of the, the one that you don't want, really, because you just got a target on the back. The way Kieran's going out, they tend to basically... Everyone waits until a point, and then it all kicks off all at once. And so if you're the person at the front, you're basically just the, the sort of pawn that everyone uses to launch themselves up the road. Just to jump in, just for people at home, that means at the start, before you line up, you, you draw what slots you're in and you are one, which means you have to go behind the motorbike unless somebody takes it for you, from you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So you obviously you're given an order, which is, is usually done by like turning cards over um, and drawing one. Yeah, you go one all the way up to six. Um, ideally, you always want to be in basically two, three you want to be in the front half of the field, but not on the front. Because like I say, the guy at the front is sort of just there to, for everyone else, a springboard for everyone else to launch. So, um, so yeah, it was just sort of one of those things. And before the race, once I saw Matty Drew too, Matty Glaser from Australia, I've, I've followed him in the semi-final and, and sort of knew that he was flagging a little bit. And, um, and we just thought, you know, give it a little nudge as the bike's pulling off. So if you, what you can do, you can leave little gaps, which people are, do anyway so when the bike's still on you leave a little gap and then what you can do just before the bike pulls off is you can like drive into it while you're still getting the shelter from the bike because we're doing 55 i think when the bike pulls off so you get a fair bit of shelter 55k an hour so you can sort of drive right into it and if they're not paying attention that can give you a little bit of space and then it's just deciding whether you've got enough really which is uh so that's what i did and then i didn't think i had enough initially so i backed off which i think caused again caused him to relax completely and actually let the gap slip a little bit more. And then that was it. It was that second move then when I was like, all right, it's sort of now or never really. And when was that? Like still over a lap and a half, two laps to go, was it? When you really went for it? Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half, two and three quarters. So like I say, the bike pulls off at three. I had a look, didn't didn't think I had enough. So sort of back, backed off, which like I say, caused everyone to relax, I think. And then that's when the gap really grew. <laughs> and, I, and then I looked again and I was like, oh, Maybe I do have enough now, and, and uh, that was it. Head down, don't look back, and hope for the best. That must have hurt. It looked like it hurt. It did. Yeah, it did, to be <laughs> fair. It really did. I'm not going to lie. Normally, they say it doesn't hurt when you win, um, but that did. That really hurt. Uh, I just wanted to curl up in a ball when I finished afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Where does it hurt in that situation? Oh, it's, it's just like everything. You know, it, it's sort of like... So when you're doing it, your legs are obviously just full of lactic, and and that doesn't go when you finish it just gets worse for some reason and then so you, you're just filling up filling up and then you sort of have this delayed reaction because it's quite a short event it seems to be that you 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 have this delayed sort of breathless reaction you're not so much out of breath in the event it's afterwards it just feels like you there's not enough air in the in the velodrome anymore you know it's like everyone's pinching your oxygen and uh oh it's horrendous it's just bizarre but it passes really quick but at the time it's like the worst thing imaginable <laughs> and then you passes and you're like oh i'm fine now it's okay <laughs> That's the thing with sprinters, um, Tom. Like whenever we were training at the track, like we would do standing half laps or standing laps, and it felt like we could just keep doing them like all day, you know. And the sprinters, they'd come in and be like, "Oh, what you got today? Oh, we're doing uh, a couple of standing quarters and a couple of standing arms," and we're just like, "What? Like is that it?" <laughs> but they can just go so deep over those that amount of time, like. Obviously, they're all fast twitch muscles. They're able to recruit so much more. Like, yeah, it just shows the stark difference between endurance and sprint athletes big time there. Yeah, everything we do is all about that peak, isn't it? We're always chasing that peak so we don't, you know, we can create quite a lot of damage in quite a lot short space of time. Whereas, like you say, endurance athletes can could do 100 efforts and all look basically the same. And that's sort of the, it's just a different strengths, isn't it? And different types of people. Um, and the different way we're made. But yeah, that is our, our sort of bag. You go into it because you're trained to do that even more, so you become really specific and really good at emptying the tanks really quickly. So what was your peak power? My best ever? Yeah. Uh, my best ever was about 2,300 uh, watts. <laughs> right. Gee, you've got to contextualise that for us who can't do oh, that. Oh, man, I think 1,300's about as high as I've ever gone. So it's close to doubling that. Although his legs are probably four times as big, so I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> was what do you weigh? You only weigh about 40 kilos, don't you, G? <laughs> At the moment, a little bit heavier, but um, yeah, 70 on average. Yeah, there you go. Jason, in that Kieran final, 
I was wondering if it made a difference that you hadn't won gold in the sprint or the team sprint, whether any of your rivals were maybe more likely to give you that gap in Tokyo. Let's say it had been Rio and you would have tried the same thing, which you wouldn't have needed to, but had you tried the same thing, would you have been more closely marked because you'd already won those two other golds? Yeah, 100%. You know, I was average in the sprint. I didn't expect to make the Kieran final and I don't think anyone else did either. You know, I, uh, Harry was obviously the red over. He'd smoked the sprint. He was part of the team sprint that won. Uh, fastest man in the world, no doubt about it. And so everyone was sort of worrying, quite rightly probably, about the fastest man. And um, and I just kind of took my opportunity. So, yeah, it did. It made it. I'm sure it did, no doubt about it. And it made probably made a, way, a change to the way that I rode it, obviously, because I wouldn't have done that if I was the fastest, because I would have been confident to win it in a straight race. Uh, so it is, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? That's what makes a Kieran so, so exciting, though. Like, I don't know if people back home have, well, most people listening to this will know what Kieran is, but like six big boys or girls, sprinters, just up there on the track. Just, yeah, there's like normally like big crashes as well sometimes. Great race to watch, one of the best races to watch on the track. Jason, the celebrations that you did on the track in Tokyo after that Kieran win, they're about as big a celebration as as I've ever seen from you because you're not a natural celebrator, it seems. And was that a result of... The fact you, the way you won the race, or the fact that you weren't expecting it, both really. I think I, you know, I was absolutely buzzing after that race because I, I honestly didn't think. I mean, I didn't think I was going to get to a second day of the queue. And I was talking to a friend of mine the day before when I went out in the first round and had to come back through the repercharge charge. Um, that you know, if I go out in the reps, I was going to go to the beach that day. You know, so I'd already had a plan. I wasn't really thinking I was even going to be there. And um, so yeah, so just to get to the final, I, I was well chuffed. Um, and didn't really expect to get anything out of it. And then, obviously, when my opportunity came and I, and I took it, with it being quite a long way out, I, I had a long time to think about it. So I was just running around that last lap thinking, you know, I was just convinced I was going to be caught the whole time, really. Going down the back straight, I was like, just keep going, just keep going. You know, I might there might just be one or two that come past. There might still be a medal. And then I just remember when I crossed the gold line, I just I was like, bloody hell, it's a gold medal, you know what I mean? And that was it. I'm just absolutely buzzing after that. So, yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> I was well chuffed. Yeah, proper chuffed I was. Because I didn't, exp- you know, we focused everything on the team sprint and we got our silver at the team sprint and, and everything else was just like a sort of a bonus, really. And Jack was our strongest rider, really, and our best chance in the in the other two events. And, and he obviously got his medal there in the sprint, which was great. Um, and yeah, I was just sort of playing sort of sporting role really, so I didn't really expect to get anything out of it. I was going to ask in the in the Kieran, do you get some of that like team? Because it's the one event where like teammates can actually help, or is it still super individual? That with GB at least, anyways, is every man for himself. No, it is every man for himself. You know, and that's pretty clear in the rules. I don't think anyone really does any teamwork. It's quite hard to organise because it is so frantic and obviously you don't know your draw where you're going to be in the line until the last second so it'd be really difficult to do anyway and it would be almost impossible to do without someone knowing you're doing it type thing so um yeah we don't it isn't it sort of it doesn't really wash that anymore in the Kieran's everyone rides individually obviously if there's a moment where you can not you know screw the other person over you might be a little bit more lenient towards your teammate but generally speaking you just sort of every man for himself try and get through it as best you can yeah with the Kieran as well did you ever go to Japan because Tom, in, in a lot of the sprinters in between Olympic cycles end up going to Japan for like the summer where the Kieran racing is just mad, like it's mad betting on it. And correct me here, Jace, I'm not too sure, but they keep you like locked away almost. So you can't like give away stuff to the press and, you know, the betting and all this type of jazz. And they're just in these mad dorms and then they just come out and race. And yeah, it's just a mad experience. And a lot of them go out and couldn't earn quite a bit of money. So um, did you ever go out? No, I never did that. I know a lot of the lads did, and it looks like really good fun. And, and to be fair, part of me sort of wishes I'd give it a go. But um, I always thought you had to pay your own way out and stuff, and then you have to go through the whole school and the system. And and, uh, and like you say, you kind of get locked away, and it sort of sounds a bit unpleasant for for a lot of it. And I just thought it'd just be typical my luck. I'd just go pay my own way out, go through all that, and then like crash in the <laughs> first race and break my arm or something stupid. And, and, and I thought it isn't something that that big outdoor track, long Kieran's are not necessarily my sort of strong point so I just thought you know it, it didn't suit me physically um, and I didn't didn't really like the idea of going out there um, having to invest to go out there you know what I mean without the guarantee of actually being half decent at anything so I never went for it and just stayed at home and trained 
Jason, when you were out in Tokyo, because I remember you telling me about Rio, how you and Laura stayed pretty separate in the team hotels, even though you're husband and wife. Well, you weren't husband and wife at that time, but you're engaged. So how was it in Tokyo? Did you stay quite separate before it was all over? Um, I can't even remember. Yeah, Laura was in the apartment below us. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You just sort of do your, you know, you're in your team. Um, you've got, you end up sort of, well, I ended up sharing a room with um, Matt Walls. So you just sort of get put in a room with someone and you just sort of that just ends up being your little buddy for the uh, for the trip <laughs> and so that's it really yeah and, and Laura had a she was downstairs who she, she was sharing with Katie I think and yeah you just sort of do things as you, with your little teams and, and move around with your with your little group really um, so obviously you know we see each other all the time and talk all the time but yeah you do you just sort of just fall into your team role when we're away for sure yeah I think that's a big difference with like professional sport compared to just normal jobs because it's just like you for me, I just, even if I was at a race, I don't think I'd want to see her just because you're just so used to your own routine and how you, what you're doing and, you know, how you go about racing basically. And, uh, suddenly if I was there, like, well, once she came out to the tour, the year I won, like it was kind of a bit, it was obviously really nice to see her and that rest day was nice. But then once we got going again, it's kind of like, all right, off your trot, you know, I need to get back in this, <laughs> in that frame of mind again. And, yeah, it's not like, you know, you're just going away on a work do and you're staying in some Ibis hotel and you're just sort of like drinking a few beers every night or whatever happens. I don't know. No, you just, you're dead lean, aren't you? When you go away, you're so lean. Like when you're racing, you just, you have what you need, don't you? And, and you just sort of, you just, you don't need your partner. There's nothing you can offer them at that point in time. It's not like you're going to go out for, like you say, for a few beers or a meal or something, is it? You just, you just, you're part of the team and doing your job, aren't you? What was the first thing Laura said to you after Kieran final? Oh, I can't remember. I mean, you just have to ask something like that, don't you? That you know I'm not going to remember, um, and that I'm definitely he's definitely going to come back to haunt me. Um, I can't remember. I was in such a bad state after that. Like I did, like I say, I just wanted to curl up into a little ball and, and kind of sob for ten minutes because I was just in bits. But um, I don't really remember much of that. I just remember sitting on the floor um, and people sort of keep. Because they, they all want you the picture with the, the flag and, and all that sort of generic stuff, don't they? But like I said, I just wanted to sit down, really. And you get funneled into a little room. We were the end of the day, so there's nothing on afterwards. You don't really get much time, I don't think. You just, we just got kind of funneled into a room, ready for the podium. You've got to put your podium kit on because the Olympics, you you got to put your tracksuit on and things. And yeah, that was it. And I think actually then I saw Laura when we were waiting to go on the podium. She came over for a bit of a chat then. But I can't remember. It's all a bit of a haze, to be fair. It's all a bit of a blur. That bit when you get in the tracksuit to go on the podium, it's normally pretty soon after you've just won, isn't it? And sometimes it's just, oh, it's horrible. You're getting in this tracksuit, you're still sweating, and then you just sweat more. You know, like when you have, I don't know, a sweaty turbo session on Zwift, and then you get in the shower, then you come out of the shower, and you just start sweating again. It's just like that, but tenfold sometimes. You're just like, oh, my God. Like, you might be feeling a bit sick still, or just a bit fuzzy-headed. And then you're walking out to get your medal and you're just a bit like, wow, I nearly, I need to try and take this in. But you just feel horrendous sometimes. Yeah, and it's never, it's not well organised at all because we've planned everything up to the race. No one's planned yeah. for anything after it. <laughs> so you've usually got no drink. You might have someone else's trainers on or something <laughs> stupid because obviously you're relying on people bringing the kit to you when you're in the room. You've got anti-doping with you, you're trying to sign that. You've got people pulling you ear, people trying to pat you on the back. And like I say, you're sort of, you're relying on one of the helpers to come with your kit, hopefully, and it might be your kit. And if it isn't your kit, hopefully it fits, you know. So I remember in... London, I think I was up with Berkey's tracksuit and stupid stuff like that, and massive trainers and things. So uh, yeah, it's amazingly badly organised. We can't do anything other than once we finish the race, we're useless, as it turns out. Most definitely, Jason. When we had Laura on the pods, there was some discussion about whose offspring were likely to be quicker, whether it was going to be Albie or Max, and then whether they'd specialised like their parents. So, what are your thoughts? Um. <laughs> Um, I well, I think Albi will be quick over a shorter distance. I would have thought. I'd be very surprised if he's not. But I suspect Max will probably probably keep going if <laughs> uh, if his parents are anything to go for. Particularly if his dad's anything to if go. If he stays on his bike. If is he is he a crasher? Is he? Does he love a? Oh, you you love a good get down, don't you? Is <laughs> he chip of off us. the old block? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what it's like though when they first start on the old balance bikes. Like, oh man, he's yeah zigzagging all over the place. Just goes down anything and then suddenly he's on the deck and 
<laughs> he gets back on though he's good like that oh that's good Albie took to it really well he never really like had any he's never been kamikaze he's always been quite controlled but he just doesn't seem that bothered by it he can do it and he learned to ride really early but he's sort of take it or leave it you know what I mean so I don't know whether he's ever really going to be mad for it early days isn't it yeah you don't know but um, yeah yeah he's not really got that competitive bug yet so um, it was funny actually I don't know I don't know if I've told you Tom but so um, Roglic lives around the corner from me here and we were out Max on the bike and then there's this other kid on the bike like a pedal bike and Max is on his balance bike and they start sort of going next to each other and almost knocking into each other and and then Max is like just going up to him saying, race, race, more race. <laughs> Turns out, walk around the corner and then it's Roglic and his wife. And uh, yeah, so it was obviously Roglic's son, Leo. And Max and Leo just start, yeah, so then they just end up racing on their bikes and messing around for like 15 minutes. And then Roglic goes, um, oh, do you want to get something to eat then? So yeah, I just went to this bar, local bar, got the kids some uh, fish and chips. And we had a couple of beers and a uh, nice little evening actually. But Max and Leo just, absolutely loved it just going up and down the same bit of not road but whatever you want to call it path I don't know if he's it's the same you know they're both still so young so who knows what they're going to do but looking at the genes that Albie's got though greatest ever female Olympian and male Olympian yeah don't think Max has much of a chance really does he uh you know well I think he does to be fair I I think you're doing all right you're not you're not bad G and to be fair and if he does do He's probably got a better chance of winning sports personality than I'll be asked. Neither of us have managed that, have we? <laughs> Fair point, yeah. yeah. Mr. Personality over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one needs to mention the effects of the Welsh block vote at this point, I don't think. That would be unfair. There's only three million in Wales, though, Tom. So, yeah. <laughs> P- plenty more help me out, I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, how about the future then? Like, obviously, we've got the Glasgow. So, the world champs next year are all combined, aren't they? So, the roads with the track mountain bike as well I don't know about BMX but it's like a big festival of cycling in Glasgow in August so that'll be big and obviously Paris just around the corner as well what's uh is that on your radar um can I just stop you there when when's this going out it's going out on Tuesday Jason as always but I'm guessing from the way you haven't really answered Garrett's question there and the expression I can see in your face that there may be some big news incoming but rather than put you on the spot and embarrass you, um, again, I can see from your face, you don't want me to do that. Why don't we just say that there may be some big news incoming from Jason in the very near future. Um, he's not quite ready to share it yet. And I shall say no more. Geraint, get me out of a pickle and say goodbye. All right, then. Well, thanks for coming on, Sir Jason Kenny. It's been a pleasure. Good to see you. Good to, you know, it's been a while. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming and I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for putting up with me for this amount of time. Cheers, Chase. We're almost at the end of your Zwift journey now, Lou, and I hear there's been a bit of a bump in the road. So for this whole process, my Zwift setup has been very cushy in my dining room, nice and warm with a good fan when it gets too hot. Um, But the bump in the road is that I'm adopting a dog from Romania. She's arriving tomorrow and she needs a safe space to call her own. So she is getting the dining room and I am having to turf my turbo out into the outhouse. Um, It does have power, but it's very cold out there. So hopefully the worst of the winter weather is over and I can continue and finish this last two weeks of my Zwift journey in the outhouse. I'm going to use all my willpower and motivation to get it done. And if you fancy joining me, Tom and Geraint on Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial. Yeah, and don't forget to join our weekly GTCC group rides, 6pm every Wednesday. We'll see you there. Chairman Tom, I hear we've got something special for our members. Yeah, we have indeed, Geraint. We've only gone and partnered up with the best bike insurance out there, Lacquer Insurance. And when any of our GTCC members takes out insurance with Lacquer, they will get an exclusive Geraint Thomas Cycling Club sweatshirt. Right, okay then, Tom. So why are Lacquer so good? Well, Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off the bike. People just like our honorary GTCC president, Mike Carr. Have a listen to this. 
I signed up with Lacquer uh, a few months ago. My bike was insured on my contents, which was costing me a fortune. So I went with Lacquer, a really great model. And a couple of months later, my wonderful Carbon Canyon was stolen. They broke through my side gate and into my locked bike shed. Took the bike, which was soul-destroying, but I had a police report, police number, and a couple of photos, which I sent straight off to Lacquer. Literally three or four days later, the money was in my bank account, and I was off new bike shopping, so it was a great service. So if you fancy getting insured with Lacquer and fancy a free GTCC sweatshirt in the process, just head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code GTCC. Enjoy. Tom, time for any other business. And I've got one for you this week, actually. I was having a little look at our GTCC Facebook group the other day, and you won't believe it, but the Thermomix chat is still (laughs) popping off. I was wondering, do you think we've increased their sales? I mean, we must have done, mustn't we? Because we were both quite vehement in how much we enjoyed our Thermomixes. And we could see the reaction it had from people who were listening to us. I feel slightly guilty here at this point because I haven't really chased up the idea of Thermomix sponsorship for the GTCC. So why don't I write that in my notebook and then I can forget about it till next time you mention it. <laughs> yeah, you do that. <laughs> okay, some big news next on the road captain's front, Geraint. I finally got through every single application that we've had in to be a road captain. I'm pretty sure we've appointed them all. Well, good job. Good job. I think there's, there must be a few in there. How many is there? There must be 20, 20 I'd go for, 25. Yeah, I'm very quickly showing how little I know about this, G, because it is, of course, our club secretary, Louise, who has done all the legwork for me. <laughs> but, G, I am pretty sure there are at least 50 road captains around this country, around the world, representing the GTCC, which is pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, quality, especially when they all start sending their, their competition photos. Well, uh See where they're all from. Yes, yeah, so a little nudge. We've got two episodes left in this season. That means two weeks for anyone else out there who fancies leading some real-life group rides to get in touch. You need to be organised, sociable, preferably have some ride-leading experience. And a little nudge, too, to all those road captains already appointed. So me and G set a challenge a couple of weeks ago to take the best photo of your social ride to be in with a chance of winning some GTCC merch. Oh, and while I remember, G, we've also had another suggestion for a future guest. Would you need this one? Jeff Thomas. Yes, good shout. I actually, um, I spoke to him when he did the, he basically does the Tour de France, doesn't he, a day before That's us. it. So he does every yeah. stage, but a day before. And I spoke to him during, I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, we had a little chat when he was, well, he was towards the end of his actually, but um Yeah, we should get him on. I bet he's got some good tales. Yeah, he left some great tales. He's also raised an unbelievable amount of money for charity. Uh, Former footballer, of course. Then he got very ill with cancer. And I think he was told that he wasn't going to live for more than six months or so. And he has since then ridden the tour. He's ridden, he's done that race across America a few times. So, uh, okay, right. I shall get hold of him or more realistically, ask someone else to get hold of him. And we shall get him on the show. Quality sounds like a right maniac. And finally, if our members want another pod to listen to this week, Tom, what can you recommend? Gee, I would go and listen to .com. It's a documentary series about the people of the internet. And series two is all about Reddit. Now, I'm sure we've all gone down a Reddit rabbit hole at some point, but some are more sinister than others. Think of GameStop, white supremacists, COVID denies, Trump. It's all on there. And this series asks all the hard questions. Just search for .com in your podcast apps. Great. See you next week. See you then. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Head of Music Emma Hickman, Head of Social Fionn Clark and our Honorary President Mike Carr. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.